All right, you may find a seat, have a seat. As, you, as you're seated, I'm gonna ask our team members to pass down your way a um, little handout. If you, don't, if you have a green book, you don't need this. We're gonna do the section entitled The Hurt Life. If you've not been with us, you don't have these little green books, then they're gonna come by and give you a sheet of paper that has the notes for this morning. So as they come by, just lift your hand up. If you don't have the uh, green book, or if, just pass a few of those down each row, that'd be fine. Take that. I wanna talk about, I'm not sure what page it's on. It's called The Hurt Life there in your little green book. And I'm, I'm gonna do something. I just, I just decided to do this about five minutes ago, so I, I hope this works. Um, uh, we are, uh, in these days, we've walked through a process. And if you've been with us each day, last Sunday we started with the accent, talking about the power of God and, and the losing of that and, and asking God to put it back in our life. We talked uh, Sunday night about the, the orange. And if you were here, we talked about the fact that um, when you are squeezed, what's inside comes out. And, and a lot of times, what's inside of us is bitterness. And, and when we are bitter inside, it shows out in a, in a lot of outward evidence. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Um, I was, uh, in fact, I just saw this book um, this week. I was, some years ago, I saw this book, and I, I can't remember what it was this past week. I saw it again. Um, I picked it up. It's a, it's a book, um, and it says, uh, the title is A Thousand Senior Moments. Um, and there's an asterisk that says, but I can only remember 278 of them. You know, and uh, maybe, maybe you've been like that if you're like me. And one of, one of the stories in this little book, it has 287 stories or whatever of people who had a senior moment. And one was about a, a prison in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And in this, uh, uh, they, they got this, they were building this brand new state-of-the-art prison, $10 million prison. And they were 30 days away from the grand opening I'm not sure what you do for a grand opening of a prison. Arrest people, I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, the grand opening, and they realized 30 days out, they, they, they had state-of-the-art everything, fencing and technology and everything, but they'd forgotten one thing. They forgot to order doors for the cells. Minor detail, right? Senior moment. And I, and I read that, and I thought, that is a great picture of bitterness. Bitterness, and that's the picture that Cecilia is drawing for us this morning, it's, it's a dungeon, but the door is open. And bitterness is like living in a prison. We could walk out, but we choose to live in the dungeon of, of our own making. Some of us kind of enjoy bitterness. I, I read about a guy who uh, was, um, went on a train ride. It was a horrible train ride. I mean, just everything went wrong. It was late. They lost his baggage. The food was cold. Uh, it, it, was just every, it was just a horrible experience. So he wrote a letter to the train company and said, this, this is horrible. Here's what, listen, all these things went wrong. I'll never ride on your train again. You know, ripped him up one side, down the other. They wrote him back a nice apology letter, refunded his entire ticket. He sent the refund back and said, keep your money. I'd rather be mad. And some of us are like that. It's kind of, we, we, we kind of like the, the, you know, the bitterness, some, some of us. But bitterness is, is drinking poison, thinking the other person's gonna die. And, and, and some of us have locked ourselves in a prison of bitterness because you know, our, our mate hurt us, or this former church hurt us, or our, our former boss hurt us, or, or our parents, or somebody has hurt us in some way. And as a result of that, we have just locked ourselves in prison and we think we're really doing them a disservice. And the fact is, we're the one that's hurting. I, I shared this a few years ago. 
And uh, uh, when my, my little son Stephen was traveling with us, and, and he, he wrote a song, and then our, our band recorded it. So this is a song my oldest son wrote, and our fourth son, Ben, is singing it. And it's, 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 a, it's not a great quality. It's on YouTube. You can, look at, you can look at it on your computer this afternoon. It's just called Dungeon Without Doors. Look it up on YouTube. Um, and so it's not great quality. Is it going to work, guys? But I just, I just wanted you to just listen to the words of this song because I believe this is where we're at in our culture, in our life, many times. We live in this dungeon. And in this morning, my prayer is that where you've been locked away in the, the prison of bitterness, that you'll step out this morning. So just um, try to ignore the quality, but just listen to the words of this. And, and that's, let's ask God to do that in our hearts uh, this morning. I just, uh, I pray that you would take um, the truth of those words and for those of us that have lived in the, the prison of bitterness, that we would um, step out and um, choose to live on the forgiven shores. Um, you have forgiven us in great ways, and I pray that we would extend that to others. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 18. If you have uh, your Bible there, Matthew, the 18th chapter. And, and once again, if you have that little green book, you can turn to uh, the page that says uh, The Hurt Life, page 22 um, there in your, in, in your book. Matthew chapter 18. I, I think that if, if um, just the first, just one, one verse here in Matthew 18, if one verse was followed, a majority of what goes on in church conflict would cease in the church today. Matthew 18, Jesus um, addresses the issue of church discipline. We don't know much about church discipline in our culture. Most churches don't practice that, not because they don't need to. Uh, but the, the right way of doing church discipline is not to start by kicking somebody out of a church. That's not the point. Matthew 18, verse 15 says this. If your brother sins, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and tell 10 other people what he did to you. Is that what your Bible says? That's what we do. That's not what it says. If your brother sins, who are you to go to? Who? Him, your brother. If this one verse was followed, gossip would cease in the church. If your brother sins, you go to the person who has wronged you. If you tell someone else what someone else has done to you and you've not already gone to that person, it's sin, it's wrong, it's gossip. If your brother sinned, the first step of church discipline is one person going to one person. If your brother sins, go, show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won a brother. The, the whole point is to win the person back. So that's, that's the first step. Second step of church discipline, verse 16. If he doesn't listen to you, then take two or more with you. So by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. That's the second step of church discipline. You take somebody with you and go back. I try to talk to this person. They've not responded. Third step, verse 17. If he doesn't listen to the, the two of you or the small group, then you take him to the church. Doesn't listen to the church, then you treat him as a, tax, a Gentile or tax collector. Now, and in the process of this, Peter, as Jesus is explaining and teaching, Peter talks to Jesus. You know, Peter was the kind of guy you liked to have in a service. I mean, he always was, you know, he had, always had something to say, a lot of times putting his foot in his mouth. But anyway, um, so, so he says in verse 21, Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and, and I forgive him? And I guess he was feeling pretty generous that day. He said, how about, how about seven times? How about seven times someone wrongs me, hurts me, and I forgive him? Wouldn't that be pretty big of me? Now, that was significant because the, the, the Jewish rabbis and priests had legislated everything, even forgiveness. That there was a rabbinical law that said you had to forgive three times. 
After three times, you could take them to court, divorce them, hate them, whatever, but you had to forgive three times. Even forgiveness was of the law. So Peter doubles the law, adds one for good measure, says, how about seven times someone wrongs me and I still forgive them? Wouldn't that be pretty, pretty impressive? Jesus answers, I don't say to you, verse 22, until seven times, but 70 times seven, 490 times. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to keep track of every time somebody hurts us? Write it down. That's the 232nd time, 233rd time. And on the 491st time, then we can get bitter. Is that what that means? No, it means that the breadth of our forgiveness is limitless. The fact is, no one's going to hurt you 490 times. But here's the fact. You're going to think about it 490 times. Forgiveness is not a one-time act. It's choosing every time someone wrongs you again and again and again, you think about it, and I'm going to choose again to forgive and forgive and forgive. You know, we say, well, Jesus forgets our sin. That's not true. It says he chooses not to remember it against us. It's not that, that we, we, it'd be impossible for us to know something God doesn't know. He still knows we've sinned, but he's never going to pull it out of the closet and say, remember this? He doesn't use it against us. He puts it as far as the east is from the west. And, and we, can't, we can't forget the sin that's happened towards us. People say, well, live like it's forgotten. Well, you, you just, just forget it. You can't forget it. But you can choose not to pull it. You can live as if it's forgotten. You, you, you can stop pulling it out of the closet and say, you did this, you did that. And in the context of this, I, I, I'm going to turn my phone off. That's probably not a good thing. Somebody's texting me. Um, in the context of this, Jesus um, tells a story here in Matthew chapter 18, and I'm not going to take the time to read it. You're familiar with it, starting at verse 23. And he says, basically, this guy had an offense or had a, a debt he owed, and he couldn't pay it back. It was a huge debt. He has forgiven that debt that he is, owes. Somebody else comes to him who just owes him a small debt, and he puts the guy in jail. And, 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 and so the, some of the friends come to the, 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 the king and say, you forgave him this huge debt, and he wouldn't even forgive this one of his fellow servants a small debt. And the, and the king is like, what, what brings him back in and say, what's the deal? I forgave you this huge debt. Look down at verse number um, 23, or, or 33, 32. Summoning him, this is 1832, his Lord said, you, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord was moved with anger, hand him over the tormentors till he should repay all that was owed him. Verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother from his heart. And, and here's the point. We have been forgiven so much by our gracious God. And some of us are still living in that prison of bitterness because somebody did something, said something, hurt us in some way. And Jesus said, don't you understand? People who can't forgive have really not understood the forgiveness granted them. So let's look at that just for a few moments this morning. How do we transform bitterness into a forgiving spirit? Well, let's start by identifying hurt. That there's a number of ways that people hurt us. You can get hurt verbally. You start, you've got to first identify where that, where that bitterness comes from. Maybe you were hurt verbally. Maybe, maybe you had a parent who said things to you that were not helpful. They called you stupid or dumb, or, or maybe your dad said to you one day, there's a bus leaving in 10 minutes, be under it. That'd not be good, okay, whatever. Uh, hurtful things, and, and that can cause bitterness. Or maybe it's things they didn't say. If you were here yesterday, we said there are three things every parent, or every child rather, wants his parent to say to them. I love you, I'm proud of you, I was wrong. 
And maybe your, maybe your kids or maybe your parents didn't say those things to you. And so you were hurt by things that didn't get said. Maybe it was physical hurt. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were disciplined in anger. We talked about the way to discipline yesterday. Proverbs says the rod of your anger will fail. Maybe you were disciplined by an alcoholic parent. It's an angry parent. Or, or maybe you faced sexual abuse. I heard James Dobson years ago say one of every 20 homes in America is touched by incest. I thought, that can't, that can't be true. That's, that seems high. But I'll tell you, after traveling over these years, I think that's probably a low estimate. And, and maybe you've gone through the abuse growing up of, of a relative or a neighbor or, 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 or someone, and, and you're, you've still put that person, you're, you're living in the bitterness of, uh, prison of bitterness towards what happened years ago. Or maybe, this is hard to uh, quantify, uh, emotional hurt. Maybe it's just that someone didn't show you love and was not kind to you in some way and you got bitter. Or, or maybe they treated you in some way of, of prejudice because of the uniqueness about you. But whatever the reasons are, all the areas of hurt, if not dealt with God's way, will put us in that prison of bitterness. Now, let me give you a little quiz uh, just to kind of see if this applies to you. Here, here's the test. Ask yourself this. Is there someone you resent? You think of what that person said to you, what they did to you, how they wronged you, how they ripped you off financially, physically, whatever it is, and it causes your fist to clench, your teeth to grind. Yeah, they did that to me. Is there someone you resent? If there is, then you're still bitter. How about this? Is there somebody you blame? You say, I wouldn't be this way if it wasn't for that mate, if it wasn't for that pastor, it wasn't for that boss. Is there someone you're blaming for the current condition of your life and you're blaming that person? If, if so, you've not dealt with bitterness God's way. Is, is there somebody you don't like because they remind you of somebody else? Ever met somebody like that? You don't like them, you're not sure why? Then one day it dawns on you, they remind you of your mother. That's why you don't like them. And it's not that person you don't like, it's the person they remind you of. How about this? Do you have the same openness with the person after they hurt you as you did before they hurt you? Now, unless it is a, a sexual issue, unless it was an abuse situation or some sexual sin, that the problem is, we see, I forgive them, I never want to see them again. I was in a meeting in Michigan and the church had split two years before we got there. The pastor had gone, taken 200 people from the church, gone down there and started another church. I don't think what he did was right, but I was meeting with the, the mother church and, and there was great bitterness toward this former pastor. I met with the deacons and trustees one night after service and I said, here's the problem with your church. You're, you're living in this gall of bitterness. You're, you're bitter. You've got to forgive this former pastor. I'm not saying he was right, but you've got to forgive him. And there was one of the trustees, he was a great, great big state police officer. And he, he stood up in the meeting and said, Steve, we have already done, we've already forgiven him. But he better not ever step foot in this parking lot again. <laughs> Afterwards, I, I got this guy alone. I said, you know, you've not forgiven that pastor. Oh, yes, I have. I, I said, I'll, I'll tell you what you do. You invite him and his family to come over to your house next Sunday for Sunday dinner. I wouldn't let him near my family. I said, you have, you've not forgiven him. If you can't have the same openness, I'm not saying you're going to go on vacation with them, but you shouldn't be avoiding them walking on this side of the street. So, so, so the issue for us then is how do we change that? Well, let, let's, let's start by, let me show you what happens, I think. Bitterness is unresolved hurt, and it comes from two things. The first one is lust. You know, we think about lust, and we think, well, that's, that's a you know, sexual thing. Lust is a consuming desire for anything. You can have a lust for food, a lust for money, a lust for revenge. And, and, and we, get, we get bitter when we want even good things 
and, and God won't give them to us. We want just uh, more money or more vacation or more whatever. And, and it's basically four things that we want so badly that God has denied us and, and, and we get bitter at God. And let me, let me say, all bitterness is ultimately directed towards God. So no, I'm, not, I'm not bitter at God. I'm bitter at that person. No, you're bitter at God. If you were here on Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever we talked about the sovereignty of God, and everything in your life has been passed through the hands of a loving God. And so you say, no, I'm bitter at that person. They hurt me. No, you're bitter at God because God allowed that person in your life. And, and, and the reason we get bitter is because we want something. It could be a position. Maybe you want a position at the, in your job. There's, I'm, I've been counseling a guy for years who is, is one of the smartest men I've ever met. And he works in a space program. But, but he can't handle people. And so he's been passed over incredibly talented, incredibly smart. But all these other younger guys have been passed over on the charts of, of the organization because he can't deal with people. And he lives in this bitterness because these younger, less intelligent guys are now his boss. He wants this position so bad, and he's mad at God because God hasn't given him a position. Maybe it's a, a possession you want. If I could just have a, a bigger house, a nicer car, luxury vacation, better clothes, whatever, and there's some possession, and other people can have it, how come you can't? And we get mad because we've compared our possessions to someone else. It, it, it could be a person you want. Maybe you're single, you wanna get married, and God's not brought someone into your life yet. Maybe you're married, you want a child, God's not opened the womb. Maybe you just want a friend. Other people have a close friend to pray with and, and you do things with, and you just, you just want a friend, and, and God's not given you that. And there's a person that you want so bad, and God has said no, and you can be bitter at God about that. Maybe it's a, a physical feature. You know, if, if you don't accept the way that God has made you physically, you're never going to accept other things he has for you. Maybe you just say, I wish I could sing better, talk better, wish I was more handsome, or more, wish I was taller. I, I played uh, college basketball. Every team I ever played on, I was always the shortest guy on the team. I, I just knew it was a mistake that God made me five, seven, and three fours. I, I, I was supposed to be taller. Now, I used to be a little bit taller, but I got married and settled down. <laughs> but I, I just always wanted to be taller. And, and, uh, and, and it's just it's that physical, if I could just do something better, right? Until you accept. Now, I have gotten over that, by the way, and uh, I'm, I'm uh, uh, pretty content. Where's Nathan at? Where'd Nathan go? I've, I've, Nathan's tall, see? And here's the deal. God takes care of short people more than tall people. Because the Bible says, lo, I am with you always. All right? So um, I've, I've kind of gotten over that. And, uh, but, it, but anyway, we've got to accept ourselves, you know, the way that God has made us. Now, the other side of the coin, one side of the coin is lust. The other side is loss. It's these same four areas. Lust says, I want it. God won't let me have it. Loss said, I had it, and God took it away. You may have once had a position. Maybe there was a time in this church when if there was a decision to be made, people came and talked to you. You know, you're one of the pillars of the assembly. And, and now people don't talk to you anymore like that. They, they don't ask for your input. Maybe once um, you, know, you were in the military or in some kind of work where, where people would salute, call you sir, and yet now you've retired and, and no one salutes anymore. No one gives you that respect that you once had. Maybe it's a person you once had, or, or a possession rather you once had. Maybe you grew up in a home of affluence, and now you don't have those means that you used to have. And, and so you've gotten bitter because you can't do the things you used to do. Or maybe, maybe it's a possession that you lost or, or got destroyed some way. Maybe your child broke that vase that was so important to you. Or, or, or just, you lose your wallet. You ever lose your purse, lose your wallet? You know, you know what's so frustrating about that? 
God knows right where it's at. It's like, come on, God, just no money, but just tell me, where's the, it's just got pictures and driver's license, and, and he won't tell you, and we can get mad because we've lost something. Maybe it's a person you've lost. Maybe you've uh, gone through the pain of, of divorce, and, and, and you've lost a, 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 a death of a maid. Maybe you're a widow. Maybe you've lost a child, and, and, or maybe you just lost a friend. Maybe you used to have a close, intimate friend. Now you moved away or they moved away, and there was a, an important person in your life that you, you once had, and now you've lost them, and, and you get bitter at God about that. Or, or maybe it's a physical feature. You know, the older we get, um, sometimes think we can't do the things we used to do. And, and so sometimes we can get bitter at God because we can't, we can't hear or see as well as we used to. Or I, I, I love basketball still. And I, whenever I play, you know, my mind says go, my body says no, right? And I'm just, I'm, I'm a step behind and a second late, and I can't do what I used to be able to do. And we, we can lose physical features, and we can get bitter about it. I heard about a pastor visiting one of his church members, elderly lady, and, and, um, at her, in her home, and they were, they were talking. He, he noticed a, a, a bowl of peanuts on the coffee table, he said, can I have some? She said, sure, help yourself. And so as they were talking, he was eating these peanuts. And by the time they got through talking, he'd emptied the entire bowl. He was, he was kind of embarrassed. He said, Man, I ate all your peanuts. Let, let, let me get you some more. She said, that's okay. Ever since I lost my teeth, I just suck off the chocolate. <laughs> okay, anyway, we, we, can, we can lose some things and get bitter. But uh, don't get bitter about that. All right, so, so here, here's, the, here's the point. Um, we all go through crisis in our, our life. Let, let me suggest a crisis is an expression of God's love. Really? That's a definition of a crisis? You say, Steve, if that is true, car wreck, broken leg, fire, if, if, if a crisis is an expression of God's love, I wish God would stop loving me so much. Because I don't like all these crises. But as we talked about the other night, Thursday night, suffering is the number one tool in the hands of God to perfect Christ-likeness in our life. God uses the crisis because he cares about us and he's desiring to conform us to the image of Christ. And we don't see difficulty coming from God. We, don't, we haven't learned those lessons. We weren't here on, on Thursday or, or I guess it was Wednesday. Um, you can go online to the church website, I think it's there, and listen to that message. But what's happening? Every time there's a crisis in your life, uh, the boss does something, the mate does something, the, the society does something, you're going to either accept it as coming from God for your good, or you'll reject it and, and, and get bitter. The, the reason that we, we, we can't accept things from God is because we have this false expectation. We, we just kind of assume everything's supposed to go well for us. Somebody said, you know, if you come to God, get saved, your life will be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And that is not what the Bible says. Let's just say that someone came to your house today about 5 o'clock. You're getting ready to come to church tonight. Service is at 6. You're ready to come to church. And at 5 o'clock they come, and they knock on your door, and they say to you, we're from a local foundation. We've decided to give you $100. You say, wow, thank you. Take the $100. And tomorrow at 5 o'clock, they knock on the door again. You open the door. Hey, we're, we're, we decided to give you another $100. Wow, thank you. The next day, another $100. This was on for a week, for two weeks, for three weeks. Every day, 5 o'clock, they're there. You're, you're there now with the door open, hand out every day, $100. After about three weeks of this, you think, man, this is, I'm making 700 a week more. I can go buy that 32-foot-wide TV I've always wanted. And uh, you know, I, I can buy this new car. I can buy a new boat. Because I buy it on time. I'm, I'm making 700 a week more. This is great. So you buy all this stuff on time. This goes on for a month. The next month, you're there, 5 o'clock, open the door, hand out. They're not there. Oh, they must be late. 6, 7, they don't show up. Man, I must have missed him. So the next day, you're there at 3 o'clock with the door open, hand out. 
three, four, five, they don't show up again. You call them on the phone and say, I haven't seen you the last couple of days. <laughs> don't be a stranger. <laughs> Is there a problem? And they say, yes, we've decided not to give you $100 a day anymore. And you blow up. You can't do that. I, I bought all this stuff. I got all these payments now. Would you have any right to get mad at that person, yes or no? No. Why? You didn't deserve it in the first place. But that's what we do. God blesses and blesses and blesses. Then he shuts off the blessing. We say, God, what are you doing? Ever get mad at God for blessing you? God, why are you blessing me so much? It's not fair. Right? No, we don't do that. Listen, anything you get that is better than hell is more than you deserve, right? All we deserve is a red hot seat in hell. We don't deserve a seat. We don't deserve anything. And anything you get that's better than hell is more than you deserve. But we have this expectation that if I don't get exactly what I want and what everybody else gets, then we get mad at God. And when you have that kind of false expectation, then that's where the hurt comes. And that hurt then grows into a spirit of bitterness. God wants us to go down the other side, accepting God's plan. Romans 8, 28 and 29 say that God works everything together that we might be conformed to the image of his son. So God is using all things, Romans 8, 28, for the purpose of Romans 8, 29, to help us be conformed to the image of his son. So, so if you look at it through God's lens, rather than getting hurt, you get, you get better, rather than getting bitter. But some of us have not seen it that direction. So, so when we get bitter about things, it spews outwardly in fear. We get fearful. Well, God allowed this to happen. Well, what's the next thing that might happen? God let 9-11 happen. What, God let this happen. My, what's, what's the next thing that might happen? Rather than realizing that God was using those circumstances and the, the choice he wants us to make is gratitude. The starting point to dealing with bitterness is choosing gratitude, choosing to say thank you. If you don't do that, then that fear bursts out in frustration. Now I'm living in this anxiety of what's the next thing's gonna come down the pike rather than realizing God wanted to use those circumstances as an expression of his love to grow your faith so that the Spirit of God could live through you, which is the fruit of the Spirit, which is faith. And as a result of that, your life is gonna be, rather than unfruitful, it's, not, it's gonna be filled with the Spirit. The wrong side of this is fear and frustration shows outwardly in anger. Here's what I found. Angry people are bitter people. People who are angry, an anger, an anger outburst is just a, an outward tantrum of an inward heart of bitterness. And usually, bitter people spew their anger on the people they're closest to. So we go home and we, we, we're, we, we vomit on our wife or our husband or our kids or people around us. Rather than letting God grow us and responding in a correct way. Now, I, I used to kind of stop right here in this chart. I was in a meeting in Missouri, and there was a guy in the church, church staff, this church had on, on staff a full-time family counselor. And our first meeting, we were kind of talking, get, kind of sharing our life story, and, and the, um, this guy said, um, I, I haven't talked, and, and as he's sharing this story, I haven't talked to my dad in 25 years. And I thought, wait a minute, this is the family counselor hasn't talked to his dad in 25 years, and he wasn't saying it out of you know, sorrow or conviction, it was just a statement of fact. I didn't say anything. A little later in the meeting, he, he, he shared why. He said, 25 years ago, my dad walked out on us. I was eight, left my mom, my siblings, 
And at first, I was just sad that dad was gone. Then I was the oldest child, so as, as, as the time progressed, I had to start filling in for my dad. I started picking up responsibilities, and I saw the pressure put on my mom. I was mad at my dad for leaving. Then I started getting angry, and then I turned, I hated my dad. And he said, now I've realized during these days that, that all that process has, has brought me to indifference. I don't even care. I don't even know if my dad's still alive, he said. I haven't talked to him in 25 years. He wrote me one letter in 25 years. I ripped it up, wouldn't even read it, through the toilet. He said, there's no way I could ever witness to my dad if he is alive. He's a lost Mormon. I gotta, I gotta go find him and ask him to forgive me. And, and what, what do you think the effectiveness of his life as a counselor was when he couldn't even deal with the issues in his own circle and now he's trying to take care of everybody else's circle? And if you don't go down the, the proper side of this and, and accept things that are coming from God and choose to thank Him and walk in the Spirit, you're not going to be effective with the people God has called you to. Now, here's, here's the consequence. Real quickly, I'm not going to give this to you. Um, if you don't forgive, physically it'll destroy you. Let me just read you a, a quote from a book. It's called None of These Diseases. It says, ulcerative colliders, toxic goiters, high blood pressure are only a few of the scores of diseases that can be caused by bitterness. Our resentments call for certain hormones from pituitary, adrenal, thyroid, and other glands. Excess of these hormones can cause disease in any part of the body. Physically, bitterness destroys you. Emotionally, it depresses you because you become like the person you resent. That's pretty depressing. Mentally, it puts you in a dungeon. You become a prisoner. I was in a meeting one time where a guy came to me and he said, um, I just started going to this church recently. I was at another church in town. This pastor really hurt me. He kind of told me a story. It was like the first Sunday. Kind of in the middle of the meeting, I saw him again. He said, you know, um, I saw this pastor walking down the street. Did I tell you what he did to me? Yeah, you, you just told me a few days ago. I saw this guy a third time uh, last Sunday, and he said, you know, I really got hurt by this pastor. It's like every time I talked to him, that's all he could talk about. He was the one that was in the prison. The, the pastor that hurt him probably didn't even know it. But this guy is walking around thinking I'm really hurting this former pastor because I'm bitter, so I'm staying in my dungeon. And it mentally puts you in a dungeon. Some of us are in bondage to the people that have hurt us. We're drinking the poison thinking they're going to die. And spiritually, it'll defeat you. You can't love God if you're bitter. John says, First John says, how can a man say he loves God whom he has not seen and he has brother whom he has seen? The Bible in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 5, 9, says the sins of the parents are visited to the third and the fourth generation, listen to this, of them that hold hatred in their heart. You curse your family four generations down the road when you hold hatred in your heart. You defeat yourself and you defeat your family. So what's the solution? Forgiveness requires repentance. We talked about this Thursday night, turning from our sin, putting off bitterness. I'm, I'm headed in the wrong direction. I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to turn from forgiveness, I mean, from bitterness, and I'm going to put on forgiveness. How do you do that? You start by letting the past stand as history. You can't change your past. How many people do you know that are trying to change their past? They, they, they live in their past. All they want to talk about is their past. Here's what you can do. You can change your response to the past. You can't change what happened but you can change your response to it. You can look at it through the eyes of God, not through the eyes of your hurt self. And then you've got to choose to forgive the indebtedness of the person that has wronged you. There's a lot of things we've talked about this week that are a choice. Brokenness is a choice. 
Forgiveness is a choice. I choose to forgive the people that wronged me. It's a choice you have to constantly make, not just one time, 490 times. A day, maybe, as you think about it. Every time you think about it, to choose to forgive. It's like um, somebody comes to your house this afternoon, let's say, and, and uh, for a meal, and, and as, they're, as they're leaving, um, you've got this end table right, by your couch. On this end table, there's this lamp. And as they're, as they're leaving, they trip, and they trip over their feet, hit the end table, it falls over, and that lamp shatters into a thousand pieces. You go, oh, they go, oh, man, I, I broke your lamp, and, and they, they say, man, let me buy you a new lamp. And you say this, don't worry about it, it's okay. Now, what are you doing? You're choosing to forgive their indebtedness. They broke your lamp. And they said, no, no, let me buy you a new one. You said, that's okay, it happens all the time. No, 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 really, let me do it. He said, don't worry about it, it was an old lamp. It was an antique, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, you know, don't worry about it, it's all right. And, and they say, are you sure? And you say, yes. Now, what did you do? You just chose to forgive their indebtedness. They broke the lamp, they should have bought you a new one. You say, it's okay. And some of us have done that much. Some of us have chosen to forgive the indebtedness of that person, but there's one more problem. There is still a broken lamp. There is still a mess all over the floor. So here's what you do. You go, after they leave, you clean up their mess and you go down and you buy a new lamp. You repay the damage that they have caused. And this is where we're missing it. What we say is, I forgive them, I never wanna see them again. They don't have to buy me a new lamp. But that's not the end of it. Aren't you glad God didn't sit there and say, okay, I forgive all those horrible people down there. No, he came down, he cleaned up our mess. He repaid the damage, he sent his son. And what we're doing is we're saying, yeah, okay, I forgive you, but just get out of my life. You repay the damage that the other person caused. I was in a meeting in Jacksonville. There's a lady in the church whose husband had been on board the USS Stark years ago in the Persian Gulf. There was an Iraqi jet fighter, fired a shell, hit the USS Stark, exploded. 38 men were killed. Her husband was one of the men that was killed in that attack. And here's what she said that God showed her as we walked through days just like this. She says, I realized I need to make the greatest investment where I have the greatest potential for bitterness. She said, my greatest potential bitterness is toward the Iraqi people. Do you know what she did? She sold her house, took her son, and moved to Iraq and became a missionary in the very town where the planes were launched that killed her husband. She stayed there for a few years and then moved back to New York City and started a ministry to Iraqi students who would come to New York for, for education. Her, she made her life goal to, to win the Iraqi people to Christ. Her greatest bitterness potentially was toward them, so she invested her life in them. Who, who, do you, who should you invest your life into? Where do you start this process? The starting pro, point of this process is just... 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. Or as Ephesians 5.20, give thanks for all things. Here's the starting point. The starting point is to choose to give thanks, to walk out of the, of the bitterness prison as a choice. You don't have to live in there. To choose to say thanks. You see, Steve, I don't feel very thankful for what happened. It, the Bible doesn't say, if you feel thankful, give thanks. It doesn't say that. He says, in everything, give thanks. Give thanks for all things. Is it God's will that sin happen? No. Is it God's will we give thanks in the midst of it? Yes. Because God is doing something, those all things, it's a process to conform us to the image of Christ. And we are not making that choice because we're sitting there and saying, well, when that person comes to me, I'll, make every, I'll, I'll forgive him. 
Now, the Bible didn't say that. You go. What has what your response been? Some of you need to go and ask people to forgive you. That They started it, perhaps, but your response to them was wrong. You don't go to them and say, will you forgive me? Uh, you were wrong, but so was I. No, you just say, I- I've been wrong. My attitude towards you has not been Christ-like. If you're waiting for them to get right, you'll wait for all eternity, maybe. Okay, God didn't do that to us. He didn't wait for us to get perfect. He came looking for us when we should have come looking for him. And there are people right here in this auditorium, people in this community, you need to go back to and say, would you please forgive me? I have, I have not shown the love of Christ to you the way, the way I know God's wanted me to. That's been wrong. Will you forgive me? You say, well, they should come to me. That's between them and God. You can't change their circle. You can only change your circle. You choose to forgive. It's a choice. You know the story of Corey Tin Boom, author of The Hiding Place, and she and her family tried to help Jews escape, and they ended up being arrested also and thrown into concentration camps. And the stories that she tells of the atrocities that took place there are beyond comprehension for most of us. She said, we would, we would breathe lice on our body because the more lice we could have, the less the guards would molest us sexually. They would be brought in and herded in like cattle and stripped and abused. And in and, and one of those camps, her sister died because she was more frail than Corey. After the war, God sent Corey to Boom on a mission of mercy. And she would go throughout the war-torn nations of Europe, and, and she was pleading with people to, to, to forgive. And she would share some of the stories of, of her life and say, and, and, and I've chosen to forgive, and you've got to choose to forgive because the war divided families and cities. And, and so, so she was preaching a message of forgiveness. She was in a meeting, and to close, a man came walking down the aisle, and she immediately rec- recognized him. He'd been a guard in one of the camps where she had been interned. She, he didn't recognize her. She was another one of the cattle herded through, but she recognized him. And he walked up and he said, Fraulein, you don't know me, though she did. I was a guard in one of those camps. I, I, I wish I could undo what took place. I, since the war, God saved me. If I could go back and undo all those things, I would. I can't. But I've just been prompted tonight to come and ask you if you would please forgive me for my part in all that. Quentin Moom said that for a moment her arms just froze at her side. Everything became vivid, just flashed, all the atrocities and the death of her sister and all the abuse, and she just, she couldn't move. And she said, it was, it was like God's Spirit said to her, Corey, what have you been telling everybody else to do? To choose as an act of your will to forgive. She said, as an act of my will, I reached out, I put my hand in his, I said, you're forgiven. And it was like a dam broke loose. She had all the bitterness because she chose, she chose to forgive. I was in Missouri and I'd, I'd shared that story and there was a lady in about the third row and she got up and started crying and running toward the back and one of the staff members caught her and brought her back down and after the service she came and talked to me and she said, I, I too was in a country 40 years ago that was overrun and, and a, a, an officer in this conquering army got me, abused me, raped me. She said, for 40 years, I have hated that day and I have hated that man. She said, this morning, for the first time in my life, I chose to thank God for that circumstance. She said, I've never felt so free in my entire life. She walked out of the prison. It didn't change the circumstance. It changed her response to it. And she said, God, I'm gonna choose to thank you for that day, for that man, for that situation. She said, I have never felt so free in 40 years. 
there's some people this morning, they're living in the bondage of bitterness, in the prison. And the starting point to change is to choose to step out and to say thanks. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.